cancer. I'll go into his room trying to bring some encouragement. He sees me at the door. He says, Preacher, you're finally here! I said, Lord, have mercy. What am I walking into? He says, The devil's in the phone booth and he's calling 911. There you go. That's what's happening right now. Oh, Dudley, it's going to be praise God. He'll be dancing here another week or so. Well, it'll be fun watching both of them knock each other down in the aisle, dancing up down the aisle. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You have your Bibles, hold them up with me. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Geneva, did you get some phone calls last week? I didn't want, you didn't have to answer them. I'm just grateful that many of you did. You followed through, you called. I have four more names. We're going to see if you're going to call. Ready? Tit, Kim, and Terry Bowman. Haven't been here in two weeks. Call them. Brad, Darlene, Caleb aren't here today. Call them. You can call Brian, but they're here. So call Brad and Darlene. Sherry Blair just needs a word of encouragement. Just call Sherry. Just tell her you're praying for her. Just encourage her. Steve and Shelly Burnham. Steve's purchased another business down in Oklahoma City, and it's causing them to have to travel a lot and back and forth. And He wore out. So just call them. Encourage them. Amen? Just get those calls going. Now, I'll put you on the spot. How many of you are going to make a call today? I'm not going to ask you which one, but how many of you are going to make a call today? I see your hands. Okay. How many of you are going to make a call today? Let me see your hands. All right, I got a few more that time. How many of you are going to make a call today? Let me see your hands. Some of you are not going to call at all? No problem. No problem. Some of you are going to make some calls. I hope you make more than one. If you didn't raise your hand, make a call anyway. Prove me wrong. That's okay. God will bless you. There's a blessing waiting for you out there if you'll just make a call. Get yourself involved in the crosses business. Good things can happen. Only good things happen at that point. Amen? That's right. It's time. Time. I don't need to browbeat you. Come on. Just get involved, folks. If we call for a need, raise every hand. Every hand should go up. Man, I'll make a phone call. I'll make a delivery. I'll be there. Come on, God. I'll help you. Come on, Lord. I'll be a part of it. Is there victory in Jesus? Is there victory in Jesus? Woo, good. I'm for four or five of you there. Yes, hallelujah. Last sermon in the series, When the Church Prays. I want to talk out of Romans, Joel. I want to talk about the Great Awakening. Throughout biblical history, God-focused prayer marked extraordinary spiritual breakthroughs. 
for God's people. I want to place before you the truth of God's Word that accurately diagnoses the present danger that our nation is in, not from terrorists, this may surprise you, but from God. Our nation is in danger from Almighty God. I want to also show you from history the place that intense times of crying out to God have in the outpouring of the Spirit of God in revival. It's my prayer that a Spirit-created urgency and intensity will overtake our souls today. And tonight I want us to launch a little time of prayer and hope you'll come back and be a part of that. In 1947, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist has depicted on its cover what is called the Doomsday Clock. This clock registers how close the world is to nuclear apocalypse by the proximity of the minute hand to midnight. These nuclear scientists weigh both positive and negative factors in the world, and they make their determination about how close we are to the end of the world. The last time that clock changed was in March 2002. After considering the continued threat of terrorism, the proliferation of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons, and the action or non-action of nations in regard to peace, the team of scientists adjusted the clock to read seven minutes to midnight. In their estimation, we're dancing on the edge of disaster. But far more ominous than any human danger is that unspeakable, awesome wrath of God. Romans 1.18 tells us that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. What is that wrath that I speak of that might come from God? Well, the word used here in Romans 1.18 describes a settled and abiding disposition against something. So God is unsettled about our faith. God is not pleased with our lip service. God is not pleased with how we behave ourselves. Let me pause right there to say this week, I'm working desperately at making changes in my life. And I still occasionally will get a a word out ahead before I want it to be out ahead. Now, I don't know if you struggle with that, but I still do. And I know that this week I hurt somebody because I let a word get out ahead of myself. And I want to make sure that you as a body know that I'm sorry for that. I would tell the person I'm sorry for that, but I don't know if they'll ever let me do that. But I'll sure try. So hopefully it will get back to them through the Lord's spirit of my remorse for letting that word get ahead of me. Now, I don't know if you struggle with that. I don't know if you can be that honest. But it don't matter to me because it's all about me at this point, not about you. Because I've been over at the cross this week. I don't know about you, but you need to come and spend some time at the cross. And maybe you've got a cross at your house. Get over to that cross and spend some time. To say God is wrathful describes His determined and continual opposition toward that which repulses Him. God's wrath is the reflex action of His perfect holiness against that which is unholy, 
When God is wrathful toward a person, it doesn't mean He's flying off the handle in a rage or He's losing control in a fit of anger. No, when God's wrath rests upon a person, it means He has set Himself in battle array against that person. Now, can you believe that God would set Himself against believers? Oh, stay with me, my friend. Stay with me. The Old Testament prophet Joel shocked, shocked the nation of Israel when he ordered the blowing of the trumpet. The blowing of the trumpet is akin to an air raid siren. Those of you that were in the military in World War II, and I don't know if they still do that now, but in World War II, when when that siren went off, you went off. Amen? You were moving. You didn't sit around going, wonder what that means. You didn't go out and look to the sky and go, where's the problem? <laughs> you, you went scurrying about to be somewhere because of that siren. And at that sound, at that trumpet blowing, everyone dropped what they were doing and they gathered for war. And what enemy was bearing down on the, the nation of Israel? What armies were threatening them? And once they gathered, Joel explains who was breathing down their necks. And he says, God Himself is coming. The Lord raises His voice in the presence of His army. His camp is very large. Those who carry out His command are powerful. Indeed, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? In Joel chapter 2, God had seen Israel sin and had come to fight against them. Could it be that God might be ready to fight against our church? because of the sin that still permeates within each person within our church. You see, that's the biblical picture of God's wrath. Generations after Joel, the Apostle Paul picks it up there in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, and he tells us that God's on the move continuously, deliberately, like an unstoppable army. He rumbles into the lives of those whose attitude is irreverent, perverse, and idolatrous. That's godlessness. He squares off against all actions that are loveless, immoral, and pridefully rebellious. That's unrighteousness. Boy, did Dan have a verse for us today. He had no idea this message was going this way. That's what I love about the Holy Spirit. He and I don't get together and talk and tell Him what to put together. God lays it on His heart to do it. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's alive and well if we'll just listen to Him. We'll just humble ourselves and listen to Him. He's here. He's all over this place. But He can't get in here. Perhaps because of the unconfessed sin within the life of our church. It's a disturbing thought to consider that our own Lord may be the one stirring up enemies against us. We Christians complain that secular humanism, the pervasive subjectivism about the removal of critical spiritual elements from public schools and judicial settings. We grieve over media bias and homosexual agendas and creeping the creeping immorality on the airwaves and on the television. We perceive ourselves to be victims and pray for the Lord's protection. And in one sense, it's right that we do that. But the Bible says that we live in the last days, demon-possessed days. But consider, could it be possible, and could you consider that it just may be, just maybe that our Lord Himself is prompting these adversaries so that they would come against us? Because you see, in great tribulation, we find out who really is committed. In great tribulation, we find out how committed you really are. In great distress, 
we find out where your foundation really is. Because you see, when things aren't going the way I want them to go, I'll just up and go. I'll just up and go. 18 churches in Jinx. Just in Jinx. I haven't even counted how many is in Tulsa. But I assure you, boy, there, <laughs> there's a number of churches, hundreds of them, available to anybody that wants whatever you want. You want large, there's large. You want small, there's small. You want medium, there's medium. You want, you want high-powered, jump-the-pew services, they're there. You want let-me-sleep-for-an-hour-and-a-half services, they're there. You want the type of service that says, don't ask me another question, they're there. So whatever you feel you need on a personal level, God's, I mean, they're out there. And every one of us claim that God's leading us and God's guiding us and God's directing us. But could it be that God's bringing this on? Let me ask it this way. In 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, we always jump on 14, but you need to read 13 because it says, If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and here's the verse that we always read, and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves. Now he's not saying those that are lost, those that are immoral, those that are worldly. He says people who are called by what? My name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Why does 1 Peter 4.17 say the time has come for judgment to begin in God's household? We get very complacent in our walk with God. Very complacent. We have 59 people present today. That's the lowest number I can remember in a number of years that's been at this church to, for a worship service. Oh, oh, I understand. It's in the summer. I understand that. I understand school starts next Thursday. I, I understand that. I, I understand. I understand co kids are going off to college. I understand. I wonder where the hands of the divine doomsday clock are for our nation. He's on the move in wrath across this land. But he would much rather turn the hands of the clock back. He would much rather turn the hands of the clock back. And I want to give you three factors that affect, that affect the wrath of God. Number one, God has established a limit to the amount of sin He will tolerate before He comes in wrath. God has established a limit to the amount of sin He will tolerate before He comes in wrath. God's Word makes reference to a cutoff point. When God's patience and tolerance reaches its end, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 speaks of people who are always adding to the number of their sins. Wrath has overtaken them completely. Genesis 15, 16 talks about why God's wrath is not yet revealed against the Amorites. He says, the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached it's full measure. Jesus scalded the hypocritical religious leaders of His day with these words in Matthew 23, 32. Fill up then the measure of your father's sins. According to Scripture, God has established a legal limit to sin. 
We don't know exactly what that limit is. Nor do we know how close we may be to crossing that limit line. But when the sin of a nation or a person reaches that limit, God's mercy gives way for wrath. Understand that when God sets Himself against a person or a nation, His arsenal is vast. He has more devices for confronting us than we have ways of evading Him. His wrath is so great and our counter moves so utterly futile that no one can successfully escape once He is in pursuit. Psalm 90 verses 7 through 9 reads about life under the opposing hand of God. It says, For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our unjust ways before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Second way to avoid the wrath of God is only those who are right with God are prepared for a time of God's judgment. Listen to the Word of God in Ezekiel chapter 13. Chapter 14, excuse me, verses 13, 14. Son of man, if a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its supply of bread, to send famine through it, and to wipe out both man and animal from it, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Do not be deceived into thinking that you can hold on to your sinful attitude, your gossiping tongue, your bitter unforgiveness, and still try to claim the righteousness of Christ as your cover. Israel did something similar in the days of Jeremiah. They trusted in the fact that they were called God's people and had the temple of the Lord in their midst. Listen to this in chapter 7. But, but look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Do you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods that you have not known? Then do you come and stand before me in this house called my name and insist we are safe? As a result, you are free to continue doing all these detestable acts. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. Wow, those are strong words to a group of people who were His children. In Jeremiah's day, God brought His judgment on the nation on the hands of the Babylonian king in 586 B.C. Centuries later, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, prophesying the destruction that would come at the hands of the Roman army in AD 70. And He brought the same accusation against God's people in His day when He says, My house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Do you know when the people of God become a den of robbers? One commentator put it this way, when they live lives of sin all week long and then come before the Lord and say, we're saved. We're God's people. They rob God of what He deserves by living and acting like the rest of the lost world all week long and then come to church on Sunday and say, I'm okay. Hey, I'm going to heaven when I die. I prayed the prayer. I joined the church. I've been to the watery grave of baptism. I've been dunked and brought up again. Hallelujah. I serve the Lord with preparing and watching take the Lord's Supper every week. 
I'm saved. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to attend Sunday school. I used to do lots of things that I don't do anymore. <clears throat> As God's people, we must confess and repent from our sin. If we're to receive the cleansing that Christ has provided through His own shed blood, and it's only through repentance that we can stand before God clothed in righteousness, that righteousness of Christ. Third way to turn away the wrath of God is God's people. We have a choice. We can either see the pending danger and return to the Lord before He brings judgment, or we can wait until after the disasters to cry out for mercy and repent. Most people will do the second. Most people will do the second. Throughout Scripture, God prescribes solemn assemblies as a key element in returning to the Lord. There were two approaches in Scripture to how a solemn assembly functioned. One function comes before the disaster and the other comes after the disaster. Let me describe one for you before. When King Jehoshaphat saw a vast army coming against the nation, he called the people together to fast and seek help from the Lord. God responded and saved the people. Another one, when King Josiah heard God's word read, he tore his robes in anguish, realizing how much his nation had offended God by violating his commands. Josiah humbled himself before the Lord and then called the people together and guided them toward repentance. And God spared that generation from destruction. This one function of a solemn assembly brought great response from God. But then another comes after the judgment. Let me give you that example. In 586 B.C., God used a wicked, the wicked king of Babylon to execute judgment on Jerusalem and Judah. And, and Nebuchadnezzar carried God's people into exile in, Babylonian, in, in Babylon for 70 years. After experiencing such great judgment, Ezra and Nehemiah guided the people to stand before God in repentance so God would heal and restore the land. And did God do it? Answer to me. Did God do it? Did God restore the land? It starts with a Y, ends with an S, and has an E in the middle. Thank you very much. I was hoping you'd respond to me. Are you still awake out there? In the book of Joel, God's people had experienced great destruction from swarms of locusts. And as a spiritual leader, Joel knew the remedy was to call God's people to return to Him in a solemn assembly. And what he said to God's people, I say to you this morning as the worship team comes back to help me close, I pick it up in Joel chapter 1. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim an assembly. Gather the elders and all the residents of the land at the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Woe because of that day, for the day of the Lord is near and will come as devastation from the Almighty. I continue in Joel chapter 2. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and He relents from sending disaster. Who knows, verse 14 says, He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind you and behind Him 
so that you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. If you sense that I do, that God's people must cry out to the Lord at a time such as this and seek His mercies, then I'd love for you to join me tonight as we call out to God. Our church, our church is in need and we need you. May God rest on your heart as you contemplate what's been said this morning. I just want to challenge you in your personal walk. Because you see, it's not enough that we say we love God. We've got to demonstrate. We've got to follow through. If I just told Cindy I loved her, but I never showed her that I loved her, how weak is that? So do you love God? Only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. We have an invitation before us. The invitation is always multi-leveled. There will be some that just need personal revival. They need to say, Lord, I need to repent and come to you. There'll be some that just simply say, man, I've never found you. <laughs> I, I need to taste the forgiveness of God, salvation. There's a group that there may be some that just need to have a place to call home and let their membership be established here. The thing I want you to understand is that God is ready in an instant to come into your life. He's ready at an instant to bring peace and harmony, at an instant to bring forgiveness and love, at an instant to reach into your life. But He will never, ever force His way. So if God might be tugging on your heart in some way today, will you respond to Him as we stand and sing together? Oh, Jesus, I surrender.